Hello, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I typically discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. I'm still going to do some of that shit. Um, But mostly, I wanted to hop on and talk about the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star 7, All Winners, Queen of All Queens, because... Oh, Lord, I had COVID again. And if you're playing along at home, yes, that is twice in three months. So everyone needs to be careful because motherfucker, bitch, I wear the N90, not the KN95, not a cloth mask, not the bullshit surgical ones that actually do nothing and we convince ourselves are good. The fake ones from China. No, bitch, this was a 3MN95 NIOSHA proof fucking mask that I wear everywhere. And I got it from someone who I know. And on top of that, I got it from being outside. Uh, We had no indoor maskless contact. We were outside and I got COVID again. These new variants are no fucking joke. They are very, very contagious. So please be careful. Keep vigilant. Um, Continue wearing your masks. Please, please, please. Also, I highly doubt anyone listening to this is unvaccinated. But if you are, fucking get vaccinated. If you haven't been boosted yet, get boosted. Um, And if you do test positive and you qualify for it, ask your doctor for Paxlovid, which is what I have done the past two times, and it really does help. Um, That's my soapbox. I'm going to step off because I really, the point of me telling you that was that I have not had contact with other humans, um, including the ones that I live with, uh, for the past five days. I haven't had I'm surprised my voice is working because I literally haven't even had a conversation. I think I've spoken a total of like three sentences out loud since Monday and I'm recording this on Friday. So I might clear my throat a few times. So sorry. Uh, So I wanted to just yell at my computer and, uh, in, you know, which then translates to yelling at all of you listening to this because we have crowned two Queens actually on RuPaul's Drag Race, All Star 7, All Winners, Queen of All Queens. Um, I loved the season for the most part. I thought it was super entertaining. I thought it was insanely well done. The talent, I mean, obviously when you get any type of season of any show where it's all winners, you're going to, you know that you're looking at the best of the best who have been on this show. Um, But, you know, like with other series who do the all winners format, like I'm thinking specifically of Survivor. um, It's not always like you get to the end of Survivor because you are talented or even because you played some great all around game of Survivor. Right. Like a lot of people, especially I feel like recently get to the end of Survivor and in some cases end up winning without making any big moves, without doing anything that we as viewers can see as like game changing or even all that interesting. Like I I forget her damn name, but the woman who won um, in the fall season of Survivor uh, who turned over the hourglass thingy. And that's the only move she made the whole game. The reason she won the rest of it is because of her social game, which we don't see a lot of on the actual show because it's not that fucking interesting to watch people be nice to each other. Do you know what I'm saying? So, you know, like on an all winner season of Survivor, you're going to get some duds. You're going to get people who are like, I don't care. Do you know what I'm saying? That's not how it is on a show like, um, like Project Runway, All Stars, 
are all winners um, or like a top chef all winners, which I think they did. Didn't they just do that? I, whatever. Um, and or RuPaul's Drag Race all winners. Is that like these queens have had to prove themselves in multiple arenas to get to this place and to win. And then to come on a show where they're up against the best of the best other winners. And in some cases, quite literally some of the best winners in the history of the show in, you know, like Raja and, um, Jinx. Like these are some of the most memorable winners the show has ever had. Queens like Shea Coulee, who made it to the finale in her, and Trinity, actually, who made it to the finale in their season and then won their all-star seasons. That we've seen a lot of these queens. They've proved themselves time and time again. So then to see all of them competing together, like we know we're gonna get some high-level drag. And that I loved that aspect of this. I also really liked that the producers or the show board showrunners, the storyboard editors, whoever it was, chose to not really show negative critiques. Um, if you listen to any of the Drag Race recap podcasts, if you follow Queens on Twitter and Instagram, they've been, you know, kind of spilling lately that they did get negative critiques. And one very uh, popular story that's been going around for a few weeks that started on Race Chaser, Alaska and Wilma's podcast and is now making the rounds on like Instagram and out magazine and all that shit is um that in one of the episodes i think it was episode three raja um <laughs> really came hard for michelle visage after she got a negative critique from michelle and said something to the effect of what criteria do you even or, or what what right or whatever do you even have to judge me when your only qualification for being a judge is that your best friend hosts the show and like that's hysterical to me and also like i as much as i would have loved to see that on tv um i think it really would have changed the way that the series was presented and the way that we all felt by the time we got to the end because by the time this finale which just aired um hit i really was at a point where it was like almost anyone who wins i'm kind of okay with it because they've all shown up and shown out that They've all done something wonderful at least once or a few times this season. They've all had a great lip sync. They've all had a great runway. They've all had at least one good uh, main challenge performance. They've all had some great confessional moments, whatever it is. That like the way that the positivity and the lack of negative judgment and like this overall tone of like sisterhood and bonding and loving and again, positivity of the series portrayed I think really helped us at that, like really made everyone look good and really contributed to this feeling that it, it really is like a, it's secondary who wins. Like it's, it's nice to have a winner and I'm sure it's nice for whoever wins to have that $200,000. But at the end of the day, this, this really did everyone in the cast a favor. It made no one look bad at any point. Um, you know, like any, any negative feeling that anyone has coming out of this is something that, is, is not contributed to by the judging, which happens all the time on these shows, right? Like there are so many seasons you can go back and just see what the storyline is going to be throughout the year or throughout the season, because you can see like these arbitrary kind of um, 
in a lot of ways, nonsensical negative judgments happening sometimes, you know, like you might be watching an episode and be like, oh, I don't know who's in the top and who's in the bottom. And then when they get to the tops and the bottoms, you're like, wait a minute, but they are ripping that person to shreds. And I, and I couldn't tell if they were in the top or the bottom. That's very purposeful. It's very purposeful that like, they get and give critiques when they're on that stage. And then the producers or the story editors or whomever use which ones they need to make the season have a story or an arc or make sense. It's that, does that, does that make sense? Um, Alaska talks about this on race chaser a bit that when she was on all stars two, it was very hard in a lot of ways to tell when they kept you on the stage, who was going to be in the top and who was going to be on the bottom. And that makes sense. Then when we're watching like this season of all stars, when we see like of the eight girls, maybe like five or six of them change into new outfits for the lip sync, because based on critiques, they don't know who's going to be in the top and who's going to be on the bottom. So just in case they're in the top, they want to be comfortable. So they change outfits. Um, and then as we were watching it, we see which of the positive critiques they show us. And we're like, okay, well, Trinity or Vivian or whoever looks fucking delusional because they changed into a lip sync outfit and they clearly were not in the top. But present in the moment during the judging, they don't know. Um, all this is a very long way to say that the way that this season was edited to make everyone shine in a positive and a good light really made all the queens shine in a good light. You know, funny how that works, that when you only keep in the positive things, the viewers pretty much have positive feelings, right? <laughs> um, there were some and one of them was last week's episode, the penultimate episode where we've heard for through the past like three or four episodes, Shea Coulee, who won the first episode, um, has kind of like been middle of the pack or lower throughout the rest of the season. Like, hasn't really done much this season to like catapult herself toward the top of the, or to really be in the running for the finale. You know, she won the first episode and then that was the plot. That was like, that was it. From then on, it was almost nothing else and nothing even really where you could look at it and be like, oh, Shay really could have been in the top. To me as a viewer, it was like, oh, Shay is like really floundering. And it was kind of the same thing with Queens like Evie, who as much as they complimented on the runway and was like, we love how unique you are. You put your own spin. Like it, it became clear in a lot of episodes that she just wasn't competing at the level that a lot of the other Queens were when it came to like acting challenges and comedy and the girl groups and stuff like that. Even though she was in the top for the girl group challenge, I thought that was, they threw her a bone. Um, and that was, did seem a little bit like a case of producer intervention to kind of heighten the stakes because that then gave her two stars. Um, when in the previous episode, she had zero because she was given a star by another queen, Raja, and then she won a star in that challenge. So she went from the bottom of the pack to the top. And I think they wanted that. Uh, there were some other examples of things like where a queen like Trinity was in the top for an episode, but was blocked. So she didn't get her star. So they put her in the top for another episode to give her that star that she had earned, even though she really didn't deserve to be in the top for that episode, I think as a viewer. And that kind of happened a few times, but like, anyway, back on track, Shay didn't really do very much this season. And a lot, and, the two improv challenges or acting challenges, one was improv, one was acting, the Santa School for Girls and the courtroom fairy tale justice. She was the straight man. So like you're not, and you're not going to win a drag acting or improv challenge by playing 
the straight man. You're just not going to. We're going to gravitate toward the over-the-top performances. We're going to gravitate toward the absurd, toward the camp, right? And that was the case in both of those challenges where like the Vivian um, won the acting challenge. Jinx was on top for an improv challenge. That like That's the kind of thing that is interesting is that type of performance, not the straight man. So like that kind of sucked. And then even some of her runways, which she's typically very good at, were kind of lackluster in comparison. Um, so in the next to last episode, we have Shay with one star, we have Monet with two, and then we have Jinx with three, Trinity with three, and Jada with three. So seemingly up until this point, we're thinking like, okay, it kind of seems like the finale is going to be Trinity, Jinx, and Jada, and then the other girls with two stars kind of fighting it out for who gets that fourth spot, which is literally everyone else. Vivian has two, Raja has two, Evie has two, and Monet has two. And did I miss someone? I don't think that I did. Did I say Raja? Um, anyway, has two. So we're really, that's what everyone's thinking. And then RuPaul comes in and says in the second to last challenge, this win is worth three stars. And as soon as she said that, it was like, okay, Shay is in the top. Because we had for episode Shay being like, I only have one star. I'm not making it to the finale. Oh no, what do I do? Who do I have to bribe? Right? And then we hear that as three stars, like, well, that would make her have four, which would put her in the finale. So clearly, that is what is happening here, right? Like, you don't just arbitrarily make one challenge worth three stars unless you're going to make it mean something. And the only queen that it would really mean something to is Shay, because she is at the bottom of the pack. She is She's trailing, right? So, of course, Shay was one of the top two. Monet was the other, and fucking she deserved it, bitch. She sang opera, and that was the, by far the best of the group. Um, but Shay lip-synced to one of her own songs, and she danced very well. But it was still a lip-sync, and it was what I think four of the other queens did. Like, the only ones who sang live, from what I can remember, I believe, were just Jinx and Monet. And then Raja was the only one who did like a kind of different talent and it was dancing this traditional Balinese dance in traditional Balinese dress. So for me, there's no reason that Shay should have been in the top. Like she didn't do anything creative. She did it probably the best of the girls who did that same exact talent. Um, but I would have absolutely given it to one of the live singers. Like I would have given it to Jinx, the second thought to Jinx or to Raja who did something different. Um, so to me, Shay would have been a fourth place, but she was second. And then she won the lip sync. And so then the top became Shay with four stars, Monet with five, and then Jinx with four. Right? Yes, Jinx with four. So they're automatically in the finale. Then it came down to Monet as the queen with the most stars to break the tie with the three star queens um, between Trinity and Jada. And of course, because Monet had this alliance with Trinity, which again, this is a payoff to that whole storyline for the season of them having an alliance. She chose Trinity over Jada to be in the top four and lip sync for the $200,000. That, that episode put a bit of a sour taste in my mouth because it was obvious what was happening, um, which sucks to see. Like when you can, again, I've said this before about Drag Race in past seasons that I've recapped. I don't want to see the cogs turning in the machine. I don't want to see the producers actively producing. It needs to feel natural. 
like it did in the earlier seasons. But when it, when it's transparent like this, it it kind of takes you out of it. But other than that, which again, okay, so Shay's in the finale. It's not like Shay's a terrible queen, but like it really didn't feel like she earned it very much. It, but then again, if Jada had been in the finale, I still would have felt a little cheated because Trinity had more wins than Jada. And so did the Vivian. The Vivian just happened to, and Trinity, they just happened to be blocked for a win each. Um, so it still would have felt a little weird for Jada to be in the finale because she was given a star by Jinx for no reason. She only had two wins. Trinity had three and the Vivian had three. Um, so like, would I have felt less cheated if RuPaul had been like, fuck the stars, you're picking between wins and Monet, you're going to pick between Jada and the Vivian because whoever, which one of those two didn't get picked still would have felt like they got robbed. You know what I'm saying? Um, but regardless, it was a wonderful season and it gave us this last episode where we had the four, the top four lip syncing for $200,000. But then RuPaul also introduced this twist that the, the four who were not lip syncing for $200,000 would lip sync for $50,000 and be crowned the queen of she already done had hers which is very fun and again, a great way to incorporate everyone and again goes to show that they have so much money that they can give away. In the Again, with that, uh, the last challenge before the finale, they gave away $10,000 to each queen's charity they were competing for. So that alone is $70,000 and then $30,000 to the winning queens, which is Shay. So they gave away $100,000 in charity they gave away 50 to the to the second queen 200 to the first queen and then each episode ten thousand dollars to the queen who lip synced so that's another hundred thousand so all together they gave away i think that's four hundred thousand dollars they gave away four hundred thousand dollars they could easily be giving these queens more money much more easily giving these queens more money and they should be doing it like yes doubling the prize for this queen of all queens is wonderful but like why not do it why not give even more it's i like the ten thousand dollar prize for the winner of the lip sync i think that give, especially in this case um of this season where no one goes home really does give them an impetus to do well in the lip sync so that's great um but regardless, I'm getting off track again. So we have in the finale, two different lip sync Lollapaloozas. And we start with, who was the first one? It was Evie and the Vivian. And I was rooting for the Vivian of all the queens that are in the bottom, because again, she had the most wins of all the queens that were in the bottom, the bottom four. So I wanted her to get something, but she's out in the first round against Evie. And then Raja and Jada lip sync. And this was weird because I thought Jada won this lip sync, but she didn't. And then it becomes Raja versus Evie for the 50,000. And again, I thought Evie really did better in the lip sync um, against Raja. But Raja wins the 50,000, which is wonderful. She is the oldest queen there. She won season three. You know, this really proves that she was there for a reason. And that she won for a reason. And I think she proved that throughout the season with her amazing runways. And she had such great showings in a lot of these um, challenges. She also had some where she definitely, like, didn't even try. Like, the girl group challenge, didn't even try. Um, 
But then she also proved herself in not only that she's a look queen by having these great runways, but in the roast challenge she did very well, in the draguation speeches challenge she did very well, and in the Santa School for Girl challenge she did very well. Um, so I'm very happy that Raja won. Um, it really represents not only old school drag, but old school drag race, which I have, again, I just said it probably like five minutes ago, that this show was at its peak seasons three through six. Seasons three, four, five, and six are the best drag race that has ever been, the best drag race that I think there ever will be. It was before queens could really model their careers after queens who were on the show. It was before we had like, these are the types, these are the stock characters of Drag Race. Um, so to reward Raja for that is wonderful. Then we get to the uh, to the top four, the queen of all queens. And the first lip sync um, is Jinx versus Shay to Judas by Lady Gaga, which is a horrible lip sync song choice, I think. Um, Shay is wearing a terrible outfit and a bad wig, and I was very confused by it. She looked ridiculous to me. Um, and then Jinx was kind of dressed like, you know, her cougar mom type thing. And it was a very strange lip sync. Shay did a lot of the original music video choreography, which like, okay, great. Um, Jinx did a lot of twirling, which again, it's like, okay, great. Um, it was a very strange lip sync, but Jinx won, Shay sashays away. And like, this was a foregone conclusion, I think. Because if we get to this top four and Jinx, who has dominated the competition, does not make the final lip sync, you're going to have a riot on your hands, Okay. Um, so Jinx does win in advances to the final. And then we have Monet versus Trinity, which again, this was always going to happen to have the twinners against each other. And they lip sync to So What by Pink. And it's pretty even, I think. I preferred Monet. I thought she was more in it. And she does advance, which again feels correct because she had, I think, a better showing, especially toward the end and would make for a more interesting final lip sync against Jinx than Trinity would. So there we go. So we have our final two queens. We have Jinx versus Monet for the crown. And I already forget what the song is that they lip synced to. So, oh God, no, I don't. No, I don't. Oh, Jesus Christ. I just remember what it was. And then I push it. I didn't forget. I, I, I covered it up and buried it in my subconscious. It was Swish Swish by Katy Perry and Nicki Minaj. This is a terrible, a terrible, not only song, this is a terrible final lip sync song. It's awful. It sucks. It's stupid. And the editing was wild for it. Like the way that they presented it was wild. I again thought Monet probably did better than Jinx did, but Jinx was going to win and she does. Jinx wins, which is wonderful because again, give it up for old school drag and old school drag race. Jinx is one of the most quantifiably talented queens to ever come out of the show, winner or not. Um, and she is funny. She is, she can sing. She can write. Um, she knows how to work a crowd. She has a character and she really did dominate this full season. Like I've seen a lot of shit online um, since the winner, since the winner was announced and a lot of Queens are pissed that Monet or a lot of Queens, a lot of fans are pissed that Monet didn't win because 
she did, I think, do better on that final lip sync, and I get it. But they did insert a bit that it was based on this lip sync and throughout the season, which I think was their way of covering themselves and being like, we know Jinx didn't win this lip sync, but, like, she won the season. Um, and I don't think you can really argue with that. Like, I've seen a lot of fans be like, well, they threw it for Jinx. They played to her strengths, which is, like, the opposite of the truth. Like, Jinx has maybe two weaknesses, and they are design and sewing and dancing. Um, and there were two design challenges this season, whereas there, whereas there are usually only one, and two dance challenges. And she didn't do well in either of the design challenges. And But then with the dance challenges, she really did. Like, she made it work for her, and that's why she should win. Like, the TikTok challenge, that should not have played to Jinx's strength. It really shouldn't have. But she somehow ended up in the top two because she made the, not the best viral dance video, but the most memorable of the videos where she made the peanut butter sandwich and like joked about having a teenage son that need, that was lazy. Like she made the funniest of them. Monet definitely made the viral video dance. I've actually seen people doing it on the internet. So she clearly should have been in the top as well. But like Jinx did so well. And there were episodes where she should have been in the top and wasn't. Do you know what I'm saying? Like she dominated the season, even in challenges where she shouldn't have. And that's the sign of a winner. And I'm very happy that she won, even if part of me, even, again, why I love this season so much is that it made everyone seem like they did so well, um, that there is a part of me that is very sad that because Jinx won, it means that Monet lost. Because going into this finale, those were my top two was like, I really want Jinx to win, but I would really be okay with Monet winning as well. Um, and seeing how well Monet did in that final lip sync and remembering how well she did in that last challenge with the opera and how great her TikTok dance was and how well she did in the girl group challenge and how well she really did throughout the seasoning and the Santa School for Girl challenge. Like, Monet really proved herself as well. And so part of me is sad that because Jinx won, it just means that Monet didn't. And again, that's why I loved this season. Is like, I'm so glad that Raja won the, the already done had hers is, but that does make me sad that that means that Vivian lost and that Jada lost. And I just really liked the season. I really did. And uh, I'm so happy with the winners that we have two crowned queens, which is wild. Um, Jinx and Raja, and that the runners up are then Monet as the first runner up. And probably then I guess that would make Evie the runner up number two, like fourth place maybe, which is weird to say, but it was such a fun season. I really hope they do this again, not soon, like not next year, maybe not even the year after, but once they have some more winners of regular drag race seasons like i would love to see them do this a turner a quick maybe i take it back i would like to potentially see a quick turnaround season because i want to see willow pill back on an all winter season and you know based on willow pill's health like who knows if they wait five six years if she's going to be able to compete at this level to do an all winter season i want to see bob i want to see alaska i want to see simone um, I want to see them bring in some more UK queens because I want to see Lawrence Cheney. Um, if they then do UK versus the world, I would love to see Blue Hydrangea. Uh, if they 
bring in Drag Race Down Under. Kidamine, I feel like, would be fun to watch. Um, it seems that they maybe are sticking to, like, RuPaul-hosted seasons, but if they, if you want to bring in Canada's Drag Race, Priyanka would be so much fun to watch. So I really hope they do this again, and they do this format. Maybe tweak it a little bit. Um, maybe give out more money. But I had such a great time watching this season. I really did. And... The whole thing is streaming now on Paramount+. Plus. If you've never watched Drag Race, which I don't know how you listen to my podcast, I've never watched it because I talk about it so much. This is such an excellent season to watch because it really is the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme, the top of their game, the best of the best. It is wonderful, entertaining drag. And I really, it, it, again, if you're a newbie, I can't think of, of a better way to introduce yourself to the world of RuPaul's Drag Race. And congratulations to Jinx, who I was rooting for since before the season started, and I'm so glad that she did as well as I wanted her to. Okay, that was fun. Um, but also, since I had COVID, I have had, you know, time to catch up on some TV, watch some things. I watched all of uh, Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls on Amazon, and I really liked it. I recommend it. It goes by really quick. It's really fun. It's a great body positive series in general, but especially as an alternative to shows like Dancing with the Stars and So You Think You Can Dance, where it really, it showcases plus size girls and plus size girls only, which there have never been on So You Think You Can Dance, because God forbid we don't lift people in the air in every dance, right? Um, and it really, there were a couple who are trained contemporary dancers who were beautiful, and it really showed that, like, that is a thing that you can do in any body. Dancing is not just for small bodies. And as an overweight, plus-size dancer myself, <laughs> I really appreciated that. Um, that whole season is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video, and it got nominated for a bunch of Emmys, including Outstanding Reality Competition Series, which is wonderful. Um, so check that out. I recommend that. I also um, watched already, it came out yesterday, and I've already watched the first three episodes of Pretty Little Liars Original Sin, which is the reboot slash spinoff, I want to say remake i'm not really sure how they're describing it at the moment i don't know if it's connected in any way other than through the title and the general setup to the original pretty little liars which ran on freeform for seven seasons and was make no mistake fucking wretched <laughs> i watched every episode of it but it was terrible and convoluted and transphobic by the end and just a goddamned mess of a piece of shit by the time it ended and I was planning to hate watch this new Pretty Little Liars because of how bad the original was, especially at the end. Um, it's created and developed by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, who did, who does Riverdale and did The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and some other things, including comic books. And he's written a few plays that I really enjoy, including Muckleman, um, which is what he named his production company after, which is fun. And I really like him as a writer, so I was kind of interested in that aspect. And then also, like, I pay for HBO Max, so why not? So, I, again, I was planning to hate watch it, especially because I was sick, right? Especially because I, like, can't go anywhere. And I had been in isolation since Monday, and it comes out on Thursday, and I'm like, ugh. 
God, I can't wait to rip this to shreds. And I fucking loved it. I loved the first three episodes. It is not at all what I expected. It is not a stupid, soapy teen drama disguised as a mystery thriller. It's a straight up horror show. It is an homage to classic horror and slasher films from the 80s and to 80s films in general. It's a love letter to film. It's a love letter to horror film. And it plays into a lot of like classic horror tropes and kind of updates it a lot. I loved it. So like it very much is like Halloween, the original from the 70s. It has the Halloween 70s font throughout it. Um, it, it has some like Amityville horror vibes at different points. They even reference Amityville horror at one point. It has, I know what you did last summer vibes, like that scene. And I know you did last summer where uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt gets the note on her desk that says, I know you did last summer or look out the window or whatever it is. And she looks out the window and there's the, the, the killer with the hook. And then she looks back and he's gone. Um, they play that scene almost exactly. Only instead of getting a note, she gets a text. Uh, that was great. And then it also pays homage to movies like The the Breakfast Club. Like the end of the first episode is all of them meeting um, in the library and kind of like being like, oh, we all have this thing in common um, and forming an alliance. So it's, it's, an, it's a throwback. There are some great Easter eggs for fans of classic horror. Like the one character's mom works for a law firm in Pittsburgh called, oh God, Strode, Prescott, Ripley, and Associates, which is Laurie Strode from Halloween, Sydney Prescott from Scream, and Ripley from Alien. Um, so that's like picking those things out is really fun. It's gory. It is, they talk like real teenagers, which I my, is my biggest critique of all teen shows is that whenever they tend to not be on premium cable, they don't act like teenagers. Like, I don't know a single teenager who walks around not saying fuck constantly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you're not gonna have teenagers who are getting drunk on weekends, but then not using foul language or like who are having sex in their parents' house or in their cars, but then they're not saying shit. Do you know what I'm saying? Or they're not calling each other assholes and cunts. Like that is how teenagers talk, especially evil ones, which is what we're typically following in these shows, especially in this show. So the villain character says fuck and cunt like oh i'm i should have maybe put a profanity warning because that that is a hard word i understand sorry about that the c word that we're dropping f-bombs and c-bombs and it's realistic bitch it is realistic that this is how teenagers talk that they don't hold back they just don't they call each other names like this that's just how it is i enjoyed that aspect and because it's on hbo max they can say it they can go there they can show blood they can show death it's the a in this one is like a legit like classic horror serial killer like stalking them in a mask a la michael myers but also looks and kind of um behaves more like leatherface it's so interesting that like it is such a combination of Halloween and Scream, I Know You Did Last Summer, Texas Chainsaw, Breakfast Club, the original um, Pretty Little Liars, that like it really does bring all of these different references together. And it's so much fun to watch. It really is. And I was shocked by how much I liked it. Because again, I 
as much as I, I watched every episode of Pretty Little Liars, but I never really liked it. Does that make do, are, do people do this besides me? Like where you watch something, and you're like, I mean, it's summer and there's nothing else on, so I guess I'll record this and on my DVR and like watch it when I can. That's how I was with Pretty Little Liars until I ended up like three, four seasons deep, and I'm like, well, now I just I'm here and I have to fucking finish it. And then I started hate watching it. Did the same thing with Glee, where I loved Glee at the beginning. Then I was like, meh. And then I started hating it, but I watched every episode. I do this a lot, where like I feel I'm a completionist, where I feel like if I start something, I have to finish it. And that's what I did with Pretty Little Liars. Is like I started it because the first episode was fine, and then it immediately sucked, and I never really liked it after that. But then I still kept watching it because like you know time of year or boredom or what hate watch whatever. Um, that's I, that's. I was shocked because that was my relationship with the original that I thought was going to be the same with this. And like, again, as much as I like Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, like Riverdale did the same thing. Riverdale is one of the rare shows where I'm like, I know I'm a completionist, but even I can't anymore. It's just a waste of my time. I have other things to be doing. So that kind of worried me about it a little bit, but so far it's hit it out of the park. The first three episodes just came out. They're streaming now on HBO Max. Um, and then the release pattern is thankfully like kind of bingy. It's going to be two episodes next week, two episodes the week after, and then three episodes the week after, and that's going to be the finale. So it's three, two, two, three. So it's running over until I guess the end, that would be what, the end of August, the middle of August, whatever. Uh, I'm so excited to see what happens with this season. It is, it's not, at all, again, not at all what I expected and a lot of fucking fun. Um, so if you are turned off by the Pretty Little Liars connection, don't be. If you're a fan of film, of horror in particular, it's it's good. It's good. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it is good. Whew. Okay, what else did I watch? I'm, I caught up on The Orville, which the third season is streaming now on Hulu, and the finale airs, by the time you listen to this, this week on Thursday. That is a wonderful show. Its allegories are so timely and so beautiful and so well done. The special effects are amazing. Watching this, it's no wonder that it took so long to get this third season. Because um, you can see the effort and the time and the work and the blood, sweat, and tears in every episode. And I love it. Um, that's streaming on Hulu. And I recommend the first two seasons as well. I loved it. Um, what else have I been watching? Um I watched the documentary Girl in the Picture on Netflix. I also really liked that. That shit was wild. Um, I recommend that if you're a true crime person. And I mean, there's just, there's so much happening. Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip on Peacock, must watch. Must watch. If you are, if you've ever been a fan of Housewives, even if you've fallen off, if you don't like the current seasons, what... You need to be watching Ultimate Girls Trip season two in particular. Because, like, I love season one. I recapped it on the podcast back in the fall. Um, but there's something about the desperation and the I don't give a fuckness of having the season two cast be all ex cast members, like women who were fired and are some just there to have fun, some there to try to get back on their shows is just so great to watch. And they're all such disparate personalities on the show. There are some OGs. There's Jill Zarin, who is a New York OG, Vicky and Tamara, uh, Vicky at least, who is the 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 OG OG, the, the original over-the-top bitch of all the franchises on OC. And I think Tamara might have 
was, I don't know if Tamara was season one or not. Um, but like, there are a lot of early season, uh, Brandy from Beverly Hills, I think might've been around season one, maybe it was season two where she first started, but like early season bitches, Taylor was season one, Beverly Hills, Phaedra was early Atlanta, not season one, but like, I think she became in season three or four. It's very entertaining. And they're all like locked in Dorinda's Bluestone Manor mansion in the Berkshires, which like that place always hosts the best episodes of Real Housewives of New York. So to have a whole season of crazy bitches locked in that house all together and you introduce COVID protocols and alcohol and Dorinda's OCD-ness about, about it being her own home and production and like all these like outside forces and the fact that Vicky days before getting there got dumped by her crazy ex-fiance Steve Lodge who ran for governor of California and was cheating such a... Days before she got there, she got dumped. It It's such a wild ride. It is such a wild ride. It was so... Some people didn't like how mean-spirited it tended to be. I loved it. That's why I watch Housewives. I watch them to fight with each other. I want the drama. I want the craziness. That's why I watch it. Like, yes, there is a, a plateau that I think they hit where I'm like, okay, I don't want to deal with this anymore. But they're not going to hit it in a seven-episode season like this. It was... I need more. I need Ultimate Girls Trip to be in production year-round like the regular Housewives franchises are. And I need them to... I need Bravo. I've said this before with the OC when I recap the OC finale. Um, that I need Bravo to start cycling out some of the regular Housewives franchises. But then this needs to be on regular Bravo year-round. Like, they're filming season three right now. They're in Thailand. I need them to also be filming seasons four, five, six right now. Because I need this to always be on the air. I do not need OC back on Bravo. I don't. Put that on Peacock and put this on Bravo. I do not need Dubai. If you want to bring that back, put that on Peacock and bring Girls Trip to Bravo. Or we can just start canceling things. We can cancel Dubai. We should have canceled OC. They've all but canceled New York. Like, they keep saying it's coming back. But, like, as far as I've heard, there's been no production announcements of either it or the Legacy spinoff. Um, so neither of them are even in production yet. So like, why are we kidding ourselves? We need more of this, of this specifically. We need ex-housewives. <laughs> we need all the girls from the different franchises interacting and being thrown together in unfamiliar situations. That's what we need. Because it puts some people in a great light, like Eva, who I had no feelings about either way on Atlanta, loved her on Ultimate Girls Trip too. Or it'll make you, like, it'll reinforce opinions you have about them. Like, I don't like Melissa from Jersey. I like her even less after Ultimate Girls Trip. Um, you know, like, I, I think Teresa is wonderful on Jersey, and I think she is Jersey, but I liked her more after Ultimate Girls Trip because she seemed more down-to-earth on that than she does on her own show. Like it really does make you see these ladies in a new light. And I think that will then translate over into their seasons. Like I hated Kenya from Atlanta, hated her, but then I really liked her on ultimate girls trip. And then on her next season of Atlanta, I like her now. Maybe she finally realized how she needs to behave in front of a camera on girls trip. I don't know, but that second season is also streaming on Peacock and will be coming to Bravo eventually. I just, oh, I, I watched a lot of TV and that's some of what I've loved the most. 
um, as some recommendations. Also, it was Christmas in July on Hallmark. They aired three new movies. That was fun. One of them was Wretched. One of them was pretty good. And one of them was good. I recommend looking for Campfire Christmas if you can find it. And for Christmas in Toyland. Those are fun. I'm sure they'll be rerunning at least Christmas in Toyland this season. Um, and I think that's it. I'm going to go get some water. Because this is by far the longest I've spoken in a week. <clears throat> and I, I need it. So thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Fake TV Critic. I'll be back probably in about a month or so um, for the fall season with more recaps, more reviews, more news, and more analyses. Have a good one, everyone. Remain vigilant, stay safe, wear a mask.